Hey guys, Dustin Wynn. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio, so stay tuned. Back to Bat Force Radio, our first episode, while well, our first new recording of 2023. So, happy new year and uh, thank you for joining us for another year. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming up this year. So, uh, stick around for that. Uh, tonight, we've got Grandpa Batman in Texas. Howdy. And I'm Robin Cross in Canada. And our first guest of the year is an author of the top selling single issue comic of 2021 with house of slaughter number one as well as books like barbalian red planet the oddly pedestrian life of christopher chaos uh, another one of my favorites behold behemoth and really when there's an author who's being tapped by james tynan and jeff lemire to write books set in the universes of something's killing the children and black hammer you should probably pay attention to what it is they're putting out this week, he returns to House of Slaughter with issue 11 for his second story arc and the return of Jace Boucher. Welcome to the show, Tate Bromble. Hey, guys. Hey. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Uh, appreciate you taking the time out. Yeah, as we were just saying, you've got, uh, you're spinning a lot of plates right now with uh, the, the work that you're doing on House of Slaughter again. Behold Behemoth is ridiculously good. And I don't know, are you currently working on uh, other stuff like Christopher Chaos still going? Are you doing any other Black Hammer? Yeah, so right now, yeah, I've got Behold Behemoth, which is we're we're slowly wrapping up our um, first story arc. And the hope is that there will be more. Um, But the first book will be five issues. Um, And Nick is working on that, on the art. I've got House of Slaughter. Um, I'm back with issue 11, and I'm doing it until 15 uh, for my second arc on that book. And then Christopher Chaos is we are, well, the plan is that it will be like a long-running book. So I'm just always kind of working on that. Uh, the first book, the first like volume will be uh, six issues. Where I think three issues are released, so we're halfway through the first volume. Um, so I'm working on that. And then as soon as I wrap the first volume, I'm going to just keep working on it. Um, and then... Uh, for Black Hammer, nothing new. Uh, I, I talk to Jeff all the time, and we always kind of throw ideas around. But right now, what was on his Substack last year, which was Colonel Weird and Little Andromeda, which was serialized uh, through his Substack, will be coming to print this year. Um, so people were waiting for that. Can grab it. And Christopher Chaos at this point is still just digital, right? Yeah, so the yeah. plan is, yeah, we're going to be, it's coming uh, I think through June? Dark Horse in June. Yeah. The first issue will drop, yeah. 
yeah so I, i've read the first issue digitally but uh i i'm waiting for for those physical releases to continue me that. too it will, it will feel even more real and like i love the characters i love what we're doing so much so i'm just i cannot wait for like more people to get their eyes on it but also just like hold it in my hands yeah what, and, and it looks it like? looks so good too you know when you've worked so long on a project or a book and then you actually get to hold it in your hand i mean what's that what's that like yeah, it's very, it's like very surreal, um, especially books that are very, like feel very intangible, like Christopher Chaos and like Colonel Weird and Little Andromeda, which I wrote so long ago, like over a year ago. Um, and then it was serialized across 2022. Um, so just to like finally get that in my hands will be like very cool. Um I think like a lot of people have that feeling where like it doesn't feel real until it's actually in your hands or like, oh, you see it on a bookshelf or like in stores. Um, so that it's like, it's very hard to put into words, but like it just feels real and it's like the best feeling. basically. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Um, <clears throat> in my former life, I was a musician and, you know, with the internet changed the business and, and the platform for how it was distributed and, and, just the whole model. And I can just remember the first time um, I got, this is dating me, but a copy of my first CD in my Mm -hmm. hand. And I was just like, Mm -hmm. versus now everything's put out digitally. And I I can only imagine musicians now are just like, it's, it's just not tangible until you touch it. Yeah. Well, there, there is, I think there, there's a reason like the, like the record business is booming again. Like people are buying records again. Oh, I just, just I just buy that, vinyl now. That's all I buy. Yeah, exactly. So it's like actually holding it and then like having it on a shelf to like just have as like in like a physical collection, like it, it changes it and it makes it more tangible. Uh, so it's, I think that's important and why, especially like physical comics, like sales are through the roof, especially when the pandemic first hit, everyone like rushed to stores to like mass buy books. Mm-hmm. Um, even though most of them would be available like on their iPad or something. People like no one, like, I think we'll always just want to have that physical thing. I can't read digital. I mean, one or two. I mean, we, we sometimes get preview copies just to, you know, especially when we're going to talk with creators and stuff like that. And I'll, I'll mm-hmm. glance at it and stuff like that. But it just, it's not the same. Um, I, I like to hold it, smell it. And, yeah. Yeah. That's like even when I'm doing final edits and I have, like, I'm scrolling through a PDF on my computer. Right. Like I, I know that it's going to hit different when I actually have the comic in my hand. So like even doing edits on a PDF, I find like it takes me out of the actual reading experience. Right. Um, so that's something I do actually struggle with, but it's okay. Uh, I want to get into your own origin story. So, uh, what was that that first thing that got you either into comics or just into writing in general? What what made you say that this is what I I, I want to write? Yeah, I will. I've always written, like especially, um, and when I couldn't write, I would like my I, I was really close to my grandmother, and like I grew up with um, living with my grandparents. So like she she loved books, I loved books. Um, I would like read voraciously. Uh, so even when I couldn't actually write right like I, we were always telling stories and she would write them and draw pictures of the characters <laughs> um and then when i and then 
throughout elementary school and onward, like I loved English class and creative writing and all of my teachers were like super supportive and like kind of, they knew I loved writing and um, something, whatever I was writing, even though I was in grade two or three, <laughs> like this, like he clearly like loves doing this. And he like his like stories he's saying, like even at that point, they were just enjoying them. So my parents and like teachers were super supportive. So I always loved writing and wanted to write. Um, I didn't know if I could actually do that as a job as I got older. Like as a kid, you just write, like I was just writing for fun. Um, and then in terms of comics, I've like always, like, I, I, I loved novels. Like I read novels as a kid um, onward. Uh, then I remember my brother put, like, did like a contest at a library and won like a hundred like a stack of a hundred Archie Digest comics. <laughs> so then I was just like, I had so, there were so many Archie comics in my house. So then I just started reading them and like, I loved reading Archie. <laughs> so, and then I moved on to, um, I think from there I moved on to Jeff Smith's bone, okay. which I would get like monthly through the scholastic orders. Um, and I loved bone. And then from there I was reading, it kind of just, I think Bone was really where I was like, wow, I like something was connecting with me in comics, like much deeper than anything else. And Bone is just incredible. Um, so then from there, I, the, all the, the first wave of Marvel movies, like that, uh, like Spider-Man and X-Men were coming out at the perfect time for me. And I'm like revealing my age, but I was like very oh, young. You're young like, as hell. <laughs> so so Spider-Man and X-Men and like, stuff were coming out and I was like a kid just like this is amazing um, and like I, so then I was like where are the comics I was one of the kids I was like where are the comics to like read more of this stuff um and I remember going on the Marvel website and looking to find like what X-Men comic would be right for me and at the time it was Kyle and Yost's new X-Men coming out with Academy X mm-hmm. so I was like I started buying their comic like the new X-Men comics started buying Uncanny X-Men which was like Brubaker, Brubaker at the time um and then Mike Carey on the Ejectivist X-Men. So like that was like my first like Marvel comics I was buying. And then from there, um I just started reading everything I could. And like I would I would order like my chapters indigo order online, which is like the Barnes and Noble of Canada. Yeah. Um and then I would like rush to like to pick to get my books, my comics for that month. Um so yeah, so I've always I've loved comics ever since then. And then I didn't, again, I didn't think I could do that as a job. Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't actually planning on getting into writing comics. So how, how did that second part start? How, how did you eventually find yourself in the industry? Um, well, I went to school and I moved to Toronto, went to, um, I studied for like film and TV production. Cause like, I don't know how to write books. I don't know how to get in like, I don't think I could like write and there was no clear way to get into comics, um, yeah. making comics. So I was like, well, there is a path for like movie and TV and I want to do something creative. So I did that and specialized in like writing for TV. And then I had to have in the, in my final year, I had an internship with a producer in Toronto and she had the rights and was adapting Essex County for the oh, CBC nice. here in Canada. So then I didn't even know that um, when I 
got the internship and I found out that she was developing it and that they were going to be holding a writer's room while I was interning for her. And I was like, please let me get into this writer's room. Like, I love Essex County. I love Jeff Lemire. I'll take on more work. Like, I wasn't being paid, but I was like, I'll do whatever. She's like, okay, you'll handle our lunches and our coffees and you'll take notes for the room. Like, it was like one of those jobs. Um, so, like, I took on that extra work just so I could, like, be in this um, writer's room. I didn't, I didn't even know if Jeff would be there, but I was like, I, this graphic novel is just incredible. Like, I need to be involved. And then... At some point in the writer's room, like day two or three, they were like, Jeff's coming to stop by. And I was like, immediately like crap my pants. I'm like, <laughs> just like freaking out. Um, and then I remember like going down into the lobby and I remember like seeing him enter. And then I like hid. And I was like, I don't know what to say to him. I can't talk to him. I was like, just broke out into a sweat. Um, and then Je- like, Jeff will hide from you as much as you'll hide from him. I know, actually, we are, that's like what's funny because we are very similar. Um, so then, when I was when I had to get back into the writers' room where he was because I had a job to do, um, I of course ended up sitting beside him, and then we just started talking. Um, as like my final year practicum, I did uh, I worked with like a group and we made a, a film that went back and forth between film and comic. Oh, cool. which was like very cool. So I was talking to him about that. He obviously saw that I love comics and then he just talked about his experience and we hit it off really well. We just became like friends. And then after that, we kind of kept in contact. He needed like some, sometimes we need like odds and ends like jobs. So I kind of became like an unofficial assistant for him. Nice. Um, and I kept, I remember always telling him, like, it's so hard to get into TV. Like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he's like, if you love comics so much, like, why don't you just write comics? And I was like, I can do that? Like, I didn't, I hadn't really thought <laughs> of waiting trying for to do that. For the club. <laughs> no, I was waiting for that invitation. So, um, so then he was the one that, like, pushed me and was like, start working up ideas. Um, I would throw, like, scripts at him. I would talk him through, like, story ideas I had. And then because I was assisting him, um a bit especially for his image books he didn't really have like a formal well he had an editor but like he would kind of um throw scripts through me to like kind of do a copy pass so then I was reading all of his scripts and like I kind of learned how to write comics from reading his scripts and then also him giving feedback on like I wrote scripts that will like never see the day I wrote like pitches that will never see the day but he was always like kind of helping me through that and that went on for like I want to say two years a year and a half. Um, and then, I don't know how many years ago it was, but I remember it was February. He asked me if I wanted to do the encyclopedia for Black Hammer, which was just like writing the, the, the like entries for them, for all his characters. And I was like, yeah, like I'll take that job. That's so cool. <laughs> so that was my first actual thing published. Um, and then at some point... Um, like how my then my first gig was Barbalian Red Planet, which um, he basically how it happened was he did like a Twitter poll and was like what characters should get a mini series next, and then I like chose Barbalian even though I think he like got like last, but then I <laughs> I DM'd him and I do no one else do this like me and Chef <laughs> have a relationship we are friends. <laughs> So, like, I DM'd him, like, a pitch, and I was like, what would be cool is if you did a Barbalian comic. He was active in the 80s. 
if it was during the AIDS crisis, he's a cop, like a queer cop during the AIDS crisis. He's this shape-shifting Martian. I gave him like this pitch for what this book could be. And he was like, interesting. I'll think about it. Um, <laughs> so, so then I didn't really hear from him for a bit. And then he randomly called me again and was like, you're writing this Sparbalian Red Planet comic. Like I, I was just giving him the idea. I didn't expect to write it. Yeah. So then he called me and was like, you're going to write this and Gabriel Walta is going to draw it. And I was like, what? <laughs> Gabriel Walta. So then he basically took like a huge ch- like chance. Like he kind, he kind of knew what I was capable of. I don't think anything I wrote was good. But he like fully just like trusted me with this book. Um, which is like, I feel like very blessed and privileged for it. Cause like some people do not get that opportunity. Um, so then that pressure also made me be like, this needs to be good. Because uh, I can't let Jeff down. Um, in any case, it's going to be beautiful because Gabriel Walt is drawing it, Jordi Belair is coloring it, and Aditya Bidikar is doing the letters. So it's going to be beautiful. Um, but yeah, I didn't want to let Jeff down. And then because it's an AIDS crisis story, I was like, I can't let this community down. Um, so like all these, all this pressure kind of forced me to make sure it was good. Um, <laughs> so I, I am very, I feel I'm very blessed from that but anyways that's that's the long-winded story of how i got into comics (laughs) very cool very good it's funny most of the writers that we talk to that was not their intended career path most of them i mean it's just it's always cool to hear how that career path develops you may have Mm -hmm. wanted to start this one but your natural um you know love of comics eventually pulls you into that it's just cool to hear yeah well it's, sharing. yeah no worries it's like it's an industry that is like hard if you're outside of it it feels impenetrable um and it is for like a lot of people because there isn't a clear path like if you're trying to get into film or tv there is like a path like it's a long path <clears throat> but it's like pretty easy to get pa gigs like just start pa build a resume do like even short films, like you might not even be paid, like paid well, but is the more gigs you like get into, you can kind of work up this ladder. As soon as you're on sets, you network. There's so many people involved in film and TV. Um, so then you kind of, there is like a set ladder. And then if you meet someone, there's like, there's like great mentor mentee relationships um, in film and TV. So like, but comics doesn't really have that, um, which is why it feels like a struggle to get into um yeah so, like every, everyone got into comics a different way yeah yeah which is cool so uh i know that uh, a lot of people that are going to be watching slash listening to this are here to listen to you talk about house of slaughter but okay. i want to get first into because it's excellent uh i want to go first into into behold behemoth cool so if you don't mind, uh, for anyone who is not already reading Behold Behemoth, you know, we're only a couple issues in, so people yeah. aren't necessarily uh, on, you know, clued into that a book uh, exists, you know, before it gets to like issue three or five or 20. Mm-hmm. So do you want to tell people uh, what Behold Behemoth is all about? Yeah, so... I'll give like a spoiler free version and I'll especially talk about like the influences. Um, but basically um, 
It's about a social worker named Grayson or Gray, um, whose brother has mysteriously passed away. And there's this mystery of how did his brother pass away? Um, and he's, he, Gray is having a terrible day. It's an awful day, leaving um, his brother's funeral. Um, and at the same time, he's been having these uh, nightmares of a monster and like a freakish future that looks like the end of the world. Um, and one thing spirals into another and you realize that he, what he is having nightmares of this monster may actually be what's causing the end of the world. So it's, um, it's a lot, it's very, it's heavily influenced by the past three years. Um, and kind of a lot of the things I've been feeling, a lot of things we've been going through. Um, and it's kind of all been put into this comic book, which is like a, which kind of, it goes across many genres. It's post-apocalyptic, but it's also like psycho horror. Um, it's it's um, a drama. It's, it's it, it kind of becomes a, those, I don't know what the subgenre is called, but if you know Sweet Tooth, if you know The Last of Us, where there's like a hard-boiled man and like a young, oh. chi- a young little girl, don't you, don't <laughs> it's one you, of those. <laughs> don't you dare bring up Last of Us with me, <laughs> right? Oh my God, tomorrow the premiere. I know. So um, it's kind of all of those things and influences put into one book, drawn and colored fully, uh, digitally painted by Nick Robles, who's like incredible. You're looking at these pages. Yeah, it's, it's just such, so beautiful. Such a great looking book. Um, me and Nick have become good friends, and I basically was like, "I'm going to make this book for you more than anyone, just to show off what you're capable of." Um, and it's not just yeah. the art either. Yeah, the the books look fantastic. But uh, I remember messaging you uh, just before book one came out. So it's like the Fridays before issues come out is when Boom sends out the PDF for review. Right. So I remember reading the first issue of this and like I was I was always going to check this book out because you were writing it. And then I read the first issue and in particular there's that conversation uh between the the two mains. Again, you know, I won't say too much for people who haven't read, but uh she's hiding under the sink and they have that moment together and that was uh a really strong moment of uh, of the first issue that really uh, made me realize that it was going to be something. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's like, it's definitely, if you know, most of my stuff really, like, um, has its heart on its sleeve. Um, so there's, it's, there's some emotional bits. There's going to be, there is going to be some, like, humor and funny bits. But it is, like, it's a pretty dark story. Um but then it's also like it's just very sweet because it's this relationship between these this older guy who's kind of at the end of his rope and this little girl who could be like the future. So it's got a lot going on, but it's yeah, and it's it'll, it's starting at five issues. Um, is kind of like how the industry is working right now. But like the hope is like there'll be like a volume two, volume three, uh, and we'll see. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I see what you mean, like the the humor between because there are the particularly when they're in that other world uh the the relationship between them i can definitely see the beats there where it's uh very much like a joel and ellie uh kind of yeah. situation. 
Well, she's just a kid. She's like 10 years old and she likes fart jokes. She likes to be silly. She wants to have fun. And then he's just this overprotective grump. So it's a fun dynamic. So when you give or what's your writing style? I mean, do you write full script for Nick or do you just kind of give him the beats and then fill in the, uh, the dialogue afterwards or? No, I do like uh, full scripts, uh, like pretty, pretty detailed uh, scripts. And then me and Nick talk every day, uh, which is why like the first issue, like you can like fully see just like our synthesis. Cause like it bleed, like everything bleeds together really beautifully. And I don't think it would have worked if we, if we weren't so close. Um, Cause he'd like send layouts and then I would volley back more ideas like, well, what if we did this to help integrate or like get this effect across? Um, so the first issue, like I'm so proud of it. It like, it reads like a fever dream slash anxiety attack, uh, which is like what we wanted. Um, just like this spiral. Um, and I do not think it would have worked unless we like just, we, if we hadn't been working so closely together. Uh, so I do full scripts and then he does layouts off of that. And then we do like a full, like an hour to two hours sometimes call, um, we're going page by page, um, seeing like what we can push further, like how we can, like I'm never afraid of like ignoring what my script says and kind of like honing in on what he's feeling or what will get whatever across better. Um, so that's like, it's really cool. It's probably the most fruitful relationship I've had like so far in comics. Um, so I'm, I'm loving working with him and I know this will just be like our first book together because we, we have plans for many, many more books. <laughs> that's cool when, you know, a writer and a artist kind of have that synergy and they actually become a team where, you know, there, there's not really a difference between writer and artists it's kind of like we're we're the creators of this right this is our yeah. band so, yeah and like cool. working with him i'm like i know this would not a lot of the things would not work or like wouldn't work as i envision them if it wasn't with nick yeah um and with this book nick was like i think he was kind of feeling worn out or just like wasn't sure of his place in comics and he was actually at a point where he was like uncertain if he was gonna stay in comics or like have a future in comics um and I was like, please just do this book with me and then, and we'll see. And then like I, this book like brought him back. I'm like, so I'm just, I'm thankful for this book because it means like Nick is still in this industry because he's so talented. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I'm very thankful for that. And for anyone who's going to uh, check it out after hearing about it, uh, next week is issue three. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's book three here. And issue three is when we get our first big chunk of lore. So people have been like, what is going on? Because <laughs> we, we're not really holding your hand so far through this book. Um, but issue three, there's a good chunk of lore. We got a lot of things explained and um, some fun post-apocalyptic monster battles, which is cool. Is that the genre you like most? Like the horror? Uh, I... Like, the way, like, I kind of have fallen into horror. Like, I didn't think I would be writing horror. And then House of Slaughter happened. And, like, even though my first volume, um, like, it had some scary bits, but, like, it wasn't full horror. I've, like, now, I've really, like, fallen in love with the genre. Um, like, movies you my, watch, or is that the kind of the genre? Yeah, well, yeah. 
I do love horror movies. So, um, so my second volume though, I've kind of, I pushed the horror for sure. Cause now I'm just like all in. I'm very excited <laughs> for people to see it. <laughs> so yeah, I was going to mention that, uh, Book three of Behold Behemoth is out next week with a cover by Werther Deladera, who is, yeah. along with James Tynan, one of the creators of one of the biggest comics of the last uh, few years, Something is Killing mm-hmm. the Children. Now, how did uh, you come into working on House of Slaughter? Right. So basically, Barbarian was coming out, and then. Um, the, my, and then James had read it or I, yeah, James was reading it and he loved it. And he, I think he included it on his, um, like end of year, like best of 2021 list, um, that he was sending out through a Substack. Um, so he was reading it. And then the editor of something is telling children, um, Eric was also reading it separately from him and really liking it. Eric reached out to me and was like, let's find a book to do together because I think you're talented and like, and I want to do like a creator round with you. Um, so then Eric was trying to work with me. James was loving Barbalian. And then behind the scenes, they were talking about House of Slaughter and they were wondering like who they could bring in. And then I guess they both realized they were both talking to me and they were like, oh, Tate could write this. So then they, so then that's basically why that happened. They both, they both love Barbalian and then realized um, they wanted the first volume to be uh, like a romance, like with, like the only prompt I had was Aaron. It was a prequel for Aaron to talk about like his story. And James wanted it to be like, uh, have some romance, a romance plot in it. Uh, so they were like, Tate just did Barbalian, which was like this queer history, um, which had a good like romance plot through it as well. So then they reached out to me. I was like, yes, please. Um, it was like my first offer since Barbalian came out. Um, so I would jumped at it. And then Eric was also still like, we'll put, I still want to do an original for you, but let's focus on House of Slaughter now. And then that original would become Behold Behemoth. So then for House of Slaughter, they gave me that like pitch for what the first volume could be. And then I kind of ran away and came up with all these other ideas. Um, which became the first volume, basically. And uh, introduced everyone to Jace, who uh, is now taking center stage in this next arc. Yeah. I love this character. Um, It's funny because when James gave me the prompt, he was like, like, maybe Aaron has a crush on a white mask and there can be like that rivalry aspect. And I was like, yeah, let's, there's, he's going to be a white mask, but he's also going to be a transfer student. And there's now a second house in the States. So I was like, and then, so I was like, I came up with that. And James was like, oh, cool. Yeah, there can be a Southern house. What if we call it like La Maison de Boucher and like the butcher shop? Um, so then I just started coming up with that. And then, I was like, what if Jace is a legacy hunter? Because why not? What if there's hunters that are like, um, are born into being a hunter and like their parents were hunters or grandparents were hunters. So then I made Jace this legacy hunter. Uh, and then the character just kind of really took on the life of his own. And there's just, as soon as you introduce like a legacy, like there's a history there that's really fascinating. Um, so I'm glad like characters, I, I mean, readers really loved him because then 
now there's another volume that's just going to focus on him, which is very cool. Yeah, so very much uh, we found out in the first volume that Jace was really out for uh, revenge. And now he has severed himself from from his own house, you know, fr- from the order uh, overall. I mean, uh, yeah. and now he is caring for he's back in Louisiana, I believe, yeah. and is uh, taking care of this group of orphaned children that he has yes. uh, grown. Yeah, that's the other thing is I didn't know that I'd be coming back for a second volume. And I, I didn't know that Jace's story would continue. So when I, I thought ish, my like, House of Slaughter issue 5 would be my last issue and possibly the last time we'd see Jace. So I left Jace at like a kind of dead end, which was, oh yeah, he's collected like this whole campsite full of orphan children. And then, spoiler, Aaron has just cut off his hand. And Aaron has also said, you can't hunt. You need to hide and stay low so that the order doesn't find you and kill you. So that was like, a, like that sounded like a story dead end. So like, we want more Jay stories. I'm like, well, I left him there to like be in stasis so that if James, you ever wanted to bring him to the main title, you could. Um, so then I was like, how do I get him out of this stasis? Which was, um, which is what, this book, which is which this volume became about. Um, I'm like, hey, he's left with these orphans. Clearly there's he needs to still he needs to avoid hunting. He can't be found. What could go wrong? And basically what could go wrong is he's back in Louisiana. He hasn't been to the butcher shop since he was a kid. Um, and what happens when one of his kids runs away and is found by the butcher shop is what this volume becomes about. Oh. And uh, a, a fun part. So Gramps is just uh, is just uh, starting to dip his toes into the whole something that's killing children universe. So uh, I'm going to risk spoiling a few things for him here. But uh, it's okay. I'll and... forget it in three hours. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me just set that up. Okay, so today I was shopping for uh, some GI Joe figures on Target. Okay, and I was like, wow, those are really cool. I almost bought them within the hour. They were delivered on my doorstep. I forgot that I'd ordered them <laughs> months ago. <laughs> so, so, yeah. so there we pull go. away. I'll forget it. It, it doesn't matter. Nice. So yeah, the uh, the the one part that uh that stood out to me, and you, we're we're not going to put this uh, episode out until uh, the day of release. So oh, you cool. can go oh, ahead yeah. and say anything that you want. You know, we'll we'll put this out the day uh, issue eleven it hits shelves. <clears throat> Uh, but yeah, the the one thing that I noticed was one of the totems. Uh, so Jace has the two totems who are uh, supplying information to him about what's going on. And he asks them how Aaron's doing. Mm-hmm. And the one totem, I think it was, was it Aaron's totem, I think? Yeah. Uh, yeah just, just flat out lies to him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, oh yeah, Ar- yeah, Ar- Aaron. This is great. Yeah, yeah, hunky dory. <laughs> yeah, I'm having actually. I didn't expect it, and I actually forgot about the totems. And then I was like, oh yeah, I got to bring these totems into this somehow. Um, and now I'm having so much fun writing the totems because they they don't they don't like each other and they're hiding information, uh, so they're fun to write. Yeah, they're they're a really cool uh, aspect of of the story that I I didn't. Uh, 
always expect to be that, you know, we, we got uh, Octo in the beginning of uh, Something's Killing Children and then yeah. seeing how his relationship uh, began to change with Erica as things were going on. And then, you mm-hmm. know, we, we meet Aaron's and then we meet Jace's and then throughout uh, in the second uh, volume of House of Slaughter, yeah. That sort of went to like a different dimension of what they could be, right. you know, like um, mm-hmm. uh, Edwin, I think was his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, his totem wasn't even uh, a stuffed animal. Yeah. It, it's uh, his paintbrush. Yeah. Which it's was, cool. uh, which is uh, just you know, like, oh yeah, of course it could be that. But yeah, now in, in this volume of House of Slaughter, we're seeing uh, not even a deviant. Like, I, I don't feel like it was a, a malicious <laughs> lie to jace it was more protecting him from the truth that he uh, was not currently equipped to deal with yeah that's a that's a nice version of it it's not malicious <laughs> he, just, he wants what's best this tor- this horrible monster trapped in a totem wants what's best for jace <laughs> it could be for, that who knows for, we'll see. For, for as long as it's what's best for him yeah right yeah exactly yeah so yeah, no, it's 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 very fun being back for this volume, um, and I get to I get to show off the butcher shop, which is probably the one I'm most excited for. Um, and this, you'll meet her in the first in this issue eleven, which is yeah. Jolie Boucher, and she is my favorite character now, um, as you will come to see, and I just want to write her forever. So yeah, she she's already. Uh... I, I'm already on board with her. Uh, she's on the the cover of I think issue twelve, and she's got two right. different colored eyes. And... Oh man, that's yeah. Because as soon as I realized, I'm like, you guys haven't done like mismatched eyes yet. So I was like, I'm stealing that idea, and Jolie is getting them. So and and it's a it's a great idea to do because the the hunters in this whole universe that's pretty much what you're seeing of them is their eyes yeah when they're masked it's it's all you see and now and there's so many hunters now with green eyes purple eyes whatever i'm like no one jolie's gonna be the only one with mismatched eyes and so i'm 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 proud of her i love her (laughs) how do you i always have a question um or just curious how you basically create a character and and develop them their personalities and traits and stuff like that i mean because you're the same person but you've got to write all these different characters what's mm-hmm. your process in understanding and differentiating all the different people yeah well honestly a lot of them start from just like an archetype like just like almost like one dimensional like i'll be like jolie when i first come up with her i'm like she's gonna be like a classic southern belle um, and then as like the more I write them and the more I develop them on the page and the, as like, and as the, sto- especially how, as the story demands, cause the characters are always in service of the story. So even if I'm like, I thought this character was this way, but I'm like, no, for like the story to work even better. Like what if this character does this or becomes this? Um, so she started as just like a Southern belle and because she's like, a monster hunter i knew like a southern bell that um is creepy and malicious and kills things and likes to save and collect children it's just like have, a like that's a scary have you ever cool been to louisiana life. no 
You just described 90% of the people. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Perfect. Nailed it. (laughs) No offense, people, but. (laughs) So, um, so she started just as like a one dimensional thing. And then the more I wrote her and especially, um, I just delivered the, the, the final draft of issue 14, which is like where you really get to know her. Um, you, like, you just build in layers and like, you kind of go back to like, whatever, um, like her, we have like a flashback in issue 11 of when her and Jace first meet and then you see her now. And obviously a lot of things have have happened. Um, but going back through her history, like why she is the way she is, um, and how we can kind of pull that up in the present, um, it, they just develop kind of on their own brick by brick. Like, you ever so had those like moments, Jace was that way too. Do you ever have those moments when you're just like walking around in the grocery store and be like, you know what? I think they would say something like this or yeah, something like, you know. <laughs> yeah, all the time. I'll get like random dialogue bits will come to mind. I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's better. Or like now I need to find a scene just for that one piece of dialogue to come out. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it'll be it'll be, it'll be fun to watch her grow into herself the way we have already seen Jace because you know he he came into the story as one as one thing and now we're seeing a completely different side of him. Yeah, and I think that's also going to be like a major tension this volume where at the end of volume 1 he was like I've I've given up on my revenge. I'm a, I'm happier. I'm at peace. Like I'm I've I'm not going to be that like angry rage filled hunt, like hunter X hunter anymore. Um, and he, he seemingly flipped a new leaf or turned a new leaf. So this volume is also going to be like, has he really? And like, is that old Jay's like still there? And like how much of it is a front? And like what's going to, what's going to happen when the story demands like that old Jace to come back. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really, I, yeah. So I don't want to spoil anything, but I'm excited for all that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you've been writing now for a while in two different so you're writing in these worlds that exist also outside of the books that you're writing yourself you know you're you're writing in the slaughterverse you're writing in the hammerverse yeah. so what uh how much participation is there uh between you when you're working in this stuff how much time do you spend working with Jeff and with James regarding what you're doing? Or did you sort of have uh, um, the, you know, is, is it your, your own, uh, you know, stomping ground to, to, to do your story or do you have to uh, work with them? Like how much are you working with them to make sure that you're uh, staying within uh, the scope? Well, like basically how it's worked for both of those was I, went to both Jeff and to James for the respective books. And I had the story already worked out what I wanted to do. Um, like pretty much like a full beginning to end. And then I pitched it to them. They offered ideas or feedback or like, what if you did this instead um, for Barbalian, because it was like truly my first, like Barbalian issue number one was my first comic, like going to print like for that series. Um, I went to Jeff and we broke, we did like a very rough outline of like each issue, like what it could look like. I think 
the first like two issues of Barbalian really stayed true to that, and then the ending um, became completely different. But like like just having that structure was like very helpful, especially for Barbalian, because I was like it was my first gig. Um, and then for House of Slaughter, I gave James like a breakdown of what I wanted to do. I pitched him like I pitched him on the idea of Jace being a transfer student from another house. Um, and then I also pitched him on the idea of that he was a legacy hunter. And then I pitched him on the idea that he carried around the totems of his family and that he was going to unleash the monsters and the totems on the house, um, which was like another thing. So like for House of Slaughter, I was actually surprised how much they let me just do what I wanted to do. Um, like I came up with issue two of it, of House of Slaughter, um, is the his totem ritual where he releases the monster and then needed, needs to put it back into the totem. Yeah. I like, I was like, I want to do this cause it would be cool. And it needs to, it needs to set up like him unleashing the monsters later. They're like, yeah, cool. That's like, that can be a new ritual that they do. <laughs> so it's like, it's in the book and it's in the lore now. Um, nice. So like they like truly let me do so much. And like, I'm very surprised um, by it. Uh, so I was, I'm, so I had a lot of fun doing that. And then basically they would each, they would read the scripts. And then I think both of them, issue one had like the most feedback, like this character voice is a bit off or like this scene, um, maybe you do this. And then after that, it was like pretty minimal notes. Um, it, it was, then it was mostly just notes from like editors, uh, but they, they would read each issue that I wrote and then then so they knew what was going on and if i was doing anything that was like that's wrong or that's not going to work then they would they would tell me but that, that, that never happened which is cool what's it like while you're working on on these characters like you know you're you're writing jace's voice you know you're writing aaron's voice and knowing that these characters could be showing up on netflix uh I know, in, in the future, I, like, I, I, try, I try not to think about it because I don't want to get my hopes up. Like I'm from the TV and film world, so like I know of anything being made. Like, so many things are optioned, and then the chances of something actually being made is like pretty slim. Like I'm not saying like something's going to on Netflix. I'm pretty sure it's like well, it's still into development, so I'm not saying anything about that. But I, I'm always just cautious and like I don't <laughs> let myself get my hopes up. But it is very cool, especially when they announced that it was being adapted. Because I, I had already signed on for House of Slaughter, and then that was announced, and I was like, this is ridiculous. This is very cool. Um, so the idea that they can show up is awesome. I hope I can be involved even a little bit, even if it's like just for, like, if Jace has ever shown up, like, please let me. Get, well, <laughs> I'll be fighting to get back into that writer's room like I was well, all those years ago. <laughs> r- right, right now, gun to your head, if you could choose someone who is going to play Jace on Netflix. Oh, man, no. Who you got? <laughs> There was someone who I actually, I'm like, I'm also, I'm terrible at names, so I will not be able to, to do this. I'm sorry. But no. what, what was the, uh, <laughs> was there something? I'm trying to remember. Uh, no, I'm going to, I'm completely blanking. I think it was like, there was a show I was watching like a year or two ago. There is someone out there who can do this, obviously. <laughs> and he was in a recent thing and he'll be perfect. I just don't remember. <laughs> oh, that was. guy. Yeah, that guy. I know exactly <laughs> who you're talking about. <laughs> He's great. Yeah. Um, there was like um, Christian who wrote, who drew the first volume. Yeah. He pitched that 
is his name Rahul Kohli? That's a person, right? He was in yeah, Rahul Kohli, who does who did like Midnight Mass. He was in I Zombie, Haunting a Blind Manor. Um, he's this he's this uh, Indian actor who we were like he could like he's like, getting a bit old now, but he would be he would have been like a fun Aaron. Okay, um, see I'm uh, yeah, I'm gonna bring up a a picture of him here. Oh my gosh, he's. Me and Chris also just have a big celeb crush on him, so we would just love that. <laughs> and Chris is awesome too. We had Chris on here a while back. Oh, nice! Yeah, he's so sweet. I love Chris. And let's see. Did that download? Have you done or do you attend any comic cons? I've. This is the first. Like 2022 was the first year I could kind of get into it because I debuted. Barbarian debuted during like the first wave of COVID. So, like, I debuted during the pandemic, so I couldn't really do conventions. I couldn't do conventions. And then, um, so this will be, like, the first year. Yeah, there he is. He would, he would do a good there. Um, so, but now this year, 2023, I'll be doing, I'll be doing some. I'm going to be at GalaxyCon Richmond in March. I think it's March. Um, that's for sure planned. I'll probably be at San Diego and New York Comic Con, um, and we'll see what else. And I'll do all the Toronto shows if anyone's in Toronto. Yeah, I I was at Fan Expo and I I was passing by the the booth, you know, where James and Werther and Martin and everyone and Alvaro were all set up. Not when I was. Okay. Not when I was there, uh, getting you know, making James sign stuff and chatting with him and and all the guys, but um, later on, it was like the next day or something. Uh, I saw you sitting at the at the table there, but there were a bunch of yeah. people. You know, there's there's a big line at the time, and I didn't have yeah. any of my uh, House of Slaughter books anymore because I thought I was done with all that. So yeah. uh, then I like I remember I, I was that unofficial. I. I yeah, I, 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 messaged, <laughs> I messaged you after and said, hey, are you going to yeah, be back like, right. you know, at, later today or back tomorrow or anything? But uh, I, don't, I don't think you ended up being back. So, Hey, piece of advice. If um, you're at a Comic-Con and someone steals a book off your table, Robin is the guy <laughs> that can track them down. He's the world's greatest cool. detective. At a <laughs> Good to know. It's, it's, it's a very specific talent, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it. it came into play when uh someone whether you know it was uh on purpose or by accident had swiped a book from a uh, libra mayo <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> and lee messaged me and said hey <laughs> and then uh yeah 10 minutes later i had recovered the book somehow wasn't he also uh, wearing a bat force shirt yeah that that was uh, oh, that was that was why lee messaged me you know he said uh you know so you know he messaged they asked hey when when you get a mate can you can you come over to my table so I went over there, and he said, yeah, so I'm not <laughs> accusing you of anything, but do you, do you know anyone here that might be walking around in one in one of your shirts? Said, well, like, I've seen a few shirts <laughs> around here, but I don't know, like, I'm not here with anyone wearing one. And he explained the situation. You know, this guy that was wearing one of our shirts uh, had bought some prints and made off with, uh, like, he had had the... Uh, the gallery edition of damned it was right before damned uh, came out like a month before so they had 
there was that version of it that DC had printed that had no text in it. There were no speech bubbles, anything. It was right. just, just Lee's art. And he had brought his copy to, to show people o- over the weekend. And that had been taken. Yeah. Luckily, uh, you know, he, he just wanted to know if maybe I knew who this might be. I had no idea. And I told him, I, you know, I'm, let, let me see if I can find it. He said, no, no, man, no, there, there's like a million people here. This place is huge. You're never going to find it. Don't worry. But 10 minutes later, I had walked the guy back to Lee's booth. I felt like uh, <laughs> well, like I was a teacher walking a kid to the principal's office. Right. <laughs> In his defense, he didn't know. He, he thought it was a free sample, but. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, nice free sample. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Someone, uh, someone joked. Uh, I think it was Tom, one of our other guys, joked later that uh, I had uh, paid the guy twenty bucks to uh, to do that to to orchestrate the situation. I said, "No, I, I all I had to pay him was a backboard shirt." Yeah. <laughs> it was an inside job. Uh, so it, this is another thing I want to get to. You, know, it's up to you if uh, if you want to talk about this or not. Completely cool if you don't, but. I wanted to, you know, given the the subject matter of some of the books that you've written between uh, Barbalian and uh, House of Slaughter, uh, the changing voice of not only creators in comics, but of characters and stories in comics. And because of that, largely because of that, the changing demographic of readers with you know there are so many now queer creators telling stories uh of you know many times queer characters and how much more inviting that must be for queer readers to to come out and you know want to read these stories and find how welcoming uh a comic shop can be for them where they may have not expected so before uh, I work in a comic shop here and over the past several years, you've been able to see the the demographics change, you know, whereas it used to be uh, very much like a, a, a white males, 20 to, to 45 kind of clubhouse, uh, you know, not through anyone's specific intent, but that was just what it had been for a long time. And more recently you can see the, the difference in not only genders but orientation and uh, race, and it's uh, it's it's great for everyone. You know how much that has expanded. It it's great for it's great for creators. It's great for uh, for the stories that can be told. It's great for the the people who can feel invited to comics, and all of that means it's great for the comic book industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Uh, how has uh, has all of that been for you making your way through this? Uh, did you ever feel any resistance? Uh, do you feel like any of that has changed? Do you feel like it's still changing? Um, well, I had, like I said, like a very privileged entry into comics. Like I came into it as like, like with Jeff Lemire over my shoulder. Yeah. Um, and then I jumped to James Tynan over my shoulder. So it was like, <laughs> On the I, giant. <laughs> so I just never, I didn't, I never got pushback. Um, and I was very surprised, especially with Barbalian. Well, actually also <laughs> Slaughter because I did not, 
I didn't even script the scene in issue four when they just when Jace and um, Jace and Aaron just get fully they take all their clothes <laughs> off the ones and they get down and dirty. I didn't even I just scripted a kiss and Chris was like, We're going all the way. I was like, Okay. Yeah, and that like, sounds I like thought, I thought for sure like we like um our editor Eric would be like, Hey guys, like the reel it back, like Well, dude, with with Chris drawing it, you're lucky that we didn't see penetration. <laughs> I know, actually. So that was like I thought there'd be a pushback. But Eric was like I remember like keyboard smashing in the replies when i saw it um and then i was like eric can we even get away with this and eric replied um saying we got to give the people what they want and i was like okay perfect so it's it's brave storytelling to to not only put things like that in there but there's was the issue two or three where it's the the cover is like a full cover shot of yeah, yeah maybe four yeah, uh, of Aaron have... and Jace making out like on on a mainstream comic yeah. cover that yeah I don't think ten twenty years ago you would have seen that no happen. you know the, and... the the world has has changed there's there's a ton of change that still needs to happen but I think a lot yeah. of change is already happening yeah it helps like there's a lot of things that needed to happen for that to happen like uh, like behind the scenes like having an editor like Eric who was supportive. And like wanted these things it was like game changing. Um, the fact that it came out of like a massive series, like some of these little children, like where you can take risks. Um, House of Slaughter, the fact that like the biggest selling comic of that year was like basically a gay romance monster hunting book mm-hmm. was ridiculous. Um, Which is you know a, a very common genre to to, to visit. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, gay romance so... monster hunting. <laughs> So there were a lot of things that lined up and then doing it was very special, especially that cover where it's like that's on the stands. Um, but then I was reminded very quickly um, the like a very sad reality. I think it was on Twitter. I saw it was like a younger kid, hopefully old enough to be reading it. But um, he said, I really want to buy this comic, but I can't have it at home or my parents will see it. Mm-hmm. Um because he obviously was not out to his parents. So then he was like, I really want to read this issue, but I can't pick up this comic. Like, I can't buy this and bring it home. And that was, like, a very, like, just a reminder of, like, even though we are doing these things, like, the world's, like, this is still happening. We're like, this kid who wants this representation, wants to read this story, has this fear to, like, own it and bring it home. So that's, like, the flip side of it. Um, which is like always important. That doesn't mean like we don't do this, but it's just like like I I offered the kid like I'll 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 mail you a variant cover. Um, but I think he was able to like find one, which was good. Um, so it is very cool, um, and I'm very blessed. Um, I was surprised with how much they let me get away with in Barbalian as well, because um, that was like a very angry um, comic. Because if you know anything about the AIDS crisis the relations between like um, the police at that time with, um, with just queer people um, was very fraught, especially with all the rioting surrounding um, AIDS, people dying of AIDS, just being neglected and just being left to die basically. Mm -hmm. 
So I got a lot of angry things off my chest in that comic, and I was surprised um, that Dark Horse let me do that. But again, I had, like, it was coming out of Black Hammer, which is, like, one of the biggest independent superhero universes to, like, happen in a while. Um, and I had Jeff, like, support. So that meant the world as well. So I feel very privileged. And then with that privilege, I'm like, what can I do? And how can I use this to actually, like, do some good or, like, get that representation out, but also just tell good stories? Because um, I think, like, we're getting to a point where, like, finally, after, like, getting crumbs of queer stories um and sometimes either like very high like now especially like highly commercialized queer stories where it's like this optimistic like sunshine and rainbows um where like more of the focus is on the representation um which is great but then i also really want like the story like how like i really want like the story to be just as good as like like so many like like straight straight stories across so many centuries have been able to like develop and like have these, this beautiful thematic resonance have like these super deep layered characters with all these flaws and actually talk about like very human um, important things. So that's why I'm like, I want to do this representation, but the story needs to be good and it needs to like, I want, I, that just matters very much to me. And with, uh, I, I think one of the important things that is maybe we might be getting to that point now is, you know, We've seen uh, characters like you know Tim Drake be revealed to be uh, to be queer, uh, Jonathan Kent uh, revealed to be queer, and I think that uh, you know between that and the number of of queer creators that there are in comics now, it, it we're almost getting to the point where it's no longer news, you know, like it's yeah, we're we're just... we're getting to the point where the stories will still get the attention and the, the narrative won't be mm-hmm. uh, kind of hijacked by the fact that, oh, oh, this is a queer character. Oh, this book's from a queer creator. It's not going yeah. to matter anymore. And people will uh, be able to, to just focus on, you know, th- we won't have any more of, oh, I heard the, the, the character in this book is queer. Oh, is the book, is the book good? Oh, I don't know. I just yeah. think that the character was. You know, we're going to get past that because enough of it is is going to be yeah. there. Yeah, you, yeah, you're already seeing it with. Because I know, like last year, Betsy Braddock, <laughs> Betsy Braddock came out um, with Rachel, right? I think, but like that, and I don't. Maybe I was just out of touch. But um, when she came out, there wasn't like obviously she's a smaller character as Captain Britain, but there I don't remember there being like massive waves of like. Um, the way that, like, well, Superman is huge, but, like, um, Tim or John Kent got, which, so, like, I think you are starting to see where it's, like, not as big of a upset, which is, like, ideal, because it's just, and so many of these characters, like, Rachel um, and Betsy or, like, Bobby Drake have been written, like, closeted for decades. Like, Bobby Drake for years was written as closeted. Um, and it just, like, took, like, an actual story for him to come out. Um so it is cool to see and it makes me very happy. And I think the biggest thing is we are seeing changes behind the scenes with editors um, and then the talent. And it's just like, you need to be hiring the people um, behind the scenes. It's not like the representation on the page is great, but what matters more is that we're hiring um, these people from marginalized groups to like finally have a voice and like share their stories and just tell good stories. 
And yeah, and that uh, at, as it changes from behind the scenes and that affects what is being told in the stories and that is affecting, you know, uh, who is feeling invited into comics, you know, like that, that feeling like comics are for them, you know, mm-hmm. everything uh, is leading to another thing. Like I, like I mentioned you, the, the different uh, demographics that, that we see coming into the shop now, you know, it, and it doesn't just stop at uh, people of different races or, you know, different uh, orientations coming. We have, uh, we have people who, opened you know be, began their file began shopping with us opened opened up a file as a male and you know now a few years later are female mm-hmm. you know so seeing that happen and the the people who now feel like you know that a, a comic shop is a place for them because i, I feel like yeah. a long for a long time it it didn't feel welcoming you know there weren't stories being yeah. told for that and you know maybe there were seeing the wrong people on online talking about comics, you know, there there are too many people I think who have been online for years, you know, had Mm -hmm. loud voices that, you know, maybe grew up reading or watching X-Men on cartoons and maybe didn't understand X-Men, you know, Mm -hmm. because they were uh, (laughs) a little too closed minded towards, uh, towards different lifestyles. Yeah, and again, obviously, the more people you get in the shop, the better the industry is gonna is gonna do. Yeah. So, telling these stories for more people is so important. Um, and right now, like comics is doing better than ever, especially with kids and like young readers. So, like that's now a generation reading Dogman um, and like Randy Telgemeier's books. They're gonna be that's a growing generation that we need to pick up, and we need to have books ready for them that they're gonna yeah. want to read. Uh, so that's all super important stuff. And as far as, you know, sticking with the uh, kinds of stories being told, you mentioned earlier that you didn't expect yourself to be writing horror. But yeah. in comics right now, there is so much great horror that's coming mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think it is about this current time that uh, horror is not only so popular, um... but there's so much good stuff coming out? beyond like the obvious um because the world is falling apart and it's just like horror gives us this catharsis um i i think that that is like the biggest part of it um i think it's also because i think comics fell out of horror for a bit like when vertigo kind of stopped doing that um we just didn't i don't know if we forgot about it or like forgot how effective it could be um But then having, I don't know what started it. Obviously, James led so much of it. But I think, like, Jeff and Andrea's um, Gideon Falls reminded people. Like, that first issue of Gideon Falls with the priest at the end of his bed still freaks me out so much. And, and yeah, now they're they're also doing uh, Dark Ride. Now they're doing their whole, yeah, like a horror universe. Um, so I think we, we, you, there's just, there's a power, um, to horror and comics because so much of comics like books, even though there's no, obviously the great thing in film is you have the audio cues and like the creepy music to like really pull you into horror. Um, 
comics and novels so much of it is like you filling in the gaps with your imagination so like there's so much more work involved with your brain so like you get called into the story more that when horror and comics hits right it's terrifying it's so freaky um so it's i think we were reminded of that uh so seeing so many great horror comics come out to show like what the medium can do um is really is awesome and I, I didn't mean to say a dark ride there. I don't know why I was, that that one was just on my mind. That's uh, I knew it, Josh. Mean, the but bone yeah, orchard. yeah, <laughs> yeah. All, all the bone orchards. So yeah, that whole universe. Uh, uh, Ten thousand black feathers just just wrapped. But yeah, uh, dark ride mm-hmm. is great too. And uh, yeah, Jeff, uh, Jeff and Dustin are doing uh, little monsters yeah, monster. as well. Yeah. And yeah, there's just it seems most of the books like, and like every publisher has, has horror stuff that, that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like a blaze has mm-hmm. boogeyman. That's really good too. And this is all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice house on yeah. the lake, you know, that was well, yeah. essentially James horror. Is just, James yeah. is killing it. Um, in June, well, it's already online, but the oddly pedestrian life of Christopher chaos is us doing horror. But from like, I say it's my like, it's my uh, my shadow like X Men book that I'm secretly writing the X Men, but it's all horror. <laughs> it's if, it's all horror monsters. <laughs> if, if if one of the uh, if one of the X Men is uh, a reconstituted pigeon, <laughs> yeah, yes. So so um, yeah, that Christopher Chaos is basically taking classic like all the classic horror monsters like Frankenstein's in it. I'm sure eventually Dracula show up, uh, but it's like a new generation of monsters, uh, and it's written. It's like, it's not afraid to get bloody. It swears. It's, so I guess the vibe, it's for, it's, James always says he wants to write comics that are um, the ones that like kids read and hide from their parents or like yeah. are secretly reading at school. Um, so it is meant for like a younger audience, but anyone can read it. It's like kind of, it's like that um, age range of like Invincible, which is just like good addictive comics. Yeah. Um, so what's going to be is that uh, there, there will be horror but like with anything I write, it's like so much about the characters. Like it's gonna have lots of heartfelt moments. It's gonna have it's gonna be a good story in there. Um, so that comes to print in June. I will just drop that. Yeah, um, from uh, Dark Horse. From Dark Horse. So and I just did like a full read through of like Hellboy, and I'm gonna and be like that. I'm going through yeah CPRD, and I'm gonna I really want to read the Witchfinder series um but that's going to be like heavily influent influential on the series it's we're gonna we, we're calling ourselves like hellboy's kid brother um so i'm very excited for this book to launch so yeah that's very cool a bit big uh magnola influence yeah for sure i i have a, a photo of mike magnola smelling my canadian money <laughs> oh i forgot our money smells like maple yeah, I yeah. I was. Yeah, I was at. Uh, I was at San Diego, and uh, I. I think it was Mike's it's wife. Maybe. Yeah, I think it was Mike's wife. Maybe uh, she picked up that I was Canadian from my voice, and I forget how it came up. But uh, one of us mentioned. Uh, yeah, I think she asked if our if our money really did smell. So, I I pulled out. Uh, you know, I was in America, so I had mostly American money at the time, but uh, I did still have some Canadian on me. So I pulled out because it's uh, I think it's the strongest one. I pulled out a hundred and you know rubbed rubbed it against itself, and and handed it to her, and she smelled it. Goes, it really does smell like maple syrup. (laughs) Wow! Then I had like this moment where she was handing it to Mike, 
to smell it. And it was like happening in slow motion. And my brain thought, <laughs> Mike McGlow is going to smell the money. And I got my phone out and I opened the camera really quick. Oh just in time to get a picture of him smelling it. Nice. American yeah. money it's smells like be... strippers and cocaine. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> well, that, that's why we yeah. put the maple smell in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cover yeah. It. The, the fives, tens, and twenties don't smell like anything because they yeah. get passed around so much. So it's got to be the, the fifties and up. Ah, Wow. But uh, we will let you get on with your life, get out of here. We do appreciate you taking the time to to be here and, and talk about the things you're doing. So uh, January 18th, House of Slaughter uh, 11, Return of Jace. Yeah. Then uh, January 25th is issue three of uh, Behold Behemoth. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we're going to wait after that for the physical release of Christopher Chaos. Yeah. And then that's everything that you are aware of, which is exciting. There will be some, (laughs) there will be some other, I don't know when it will be announced, but something big is coming. Um, Beyond that, Colonel Weird and Little Andromeda is coming out as well in March or April. Mm -hmm. Which is cute. It's like a bunch of um, short comics done with incredible artists. Where I I wrote comics for Andreas Martino and Danny, um, Marguerite Savage. Yeah. Anyways, I just a crazy, very cool artist I got to work with on that. Um, yeah. Thank you for That's awesome. thank you for having me. Thank you for promoting my. Absolutely. Uh, well. We 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 <laughs> we love uh, putting out there the stuff the stuff that that we love reading. You want to do a lightning round? Yeah, you want to hit them a lightning yeah. round. So yeah. lightning rounds. We, I, we've already talked about comics and all that stuff, but let's let's get the no tape. Okay. Think of this as being on, <laughs> laying down on the couch. You have to tell us the first answer immediately in your mind. Okay. Okay. Favorite X Men. Oh, um, oh no! For some reason, Rogue came to mind, and I don't think it's Rogue, but oh, I'm very bad at decisions. Wolverine, but okay, no. it's Rogue. not. It's I do love Wolverine, but <laughs> all right. What's your favorite we'll Nickelback we'll song? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Who has a photograph? Nickelback song? Look at this photograph, <laughs> just for the meme. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, what's your go-to energy drink? Um, I guess Red Bull, zero sugar. Is is that one because we were just talking about Monster before we were on here? Yeah. Um, what's your favorite candy bars or snack, junk food? Oh, I can eat so many chocolate covered almonds and I get sick. Like I will actually get sick, but like I cannot stop eating them. Got to Got to feel better so I can eat more. <laughs> Have yeah. you ever killed a bear? No. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I love bears. I would never. Good answer. I hate Give those trophy hug. hunter people. I'm not, I went camping this past summer and I, there were bears outside my tent and it was terrifying. So I do not advise going anywhere near bears. What, what's your favorite movie? What, Pan's Labyrinth is one of them. Oh, oh I just cool. rewatched that recently. Wait, I have, I have this guy. This is my only action oh, figure. Nice. Yeah, it's the fawn from Pan's Labyrinth. You know they make an old fawn too. 
Really? What? Yeah, they have the regular fawn and old fawn. Oh, cool. So they have pretty much that whole. They have a. I need to get the. They have the pretty much all the characters. Yeah, they've got the dude with the hands and all that. Um, all right. Well, let's see what else we got. Um, uh, I I like asking this one. Uh, this could be comics related or not. What is the best advice you've ever been given, and who gave it to you? Oh my gosh, the best advice I got, which is very weird. Um, in grade 10, my art class, my t- I was, we had to do a portrait, a self-portrait. Um, and I was, I'm like a perfectionist. So I go on and on and on. I, I spent hours working on this portrait and I kept bringing it back to my art teacher. And, um, and I was going like very lightly cause I was kind of like scared of doing like very dark black cause I couldn't erase it. And he kept pushing me being like, you need to like, you need to make the blacks as black as you can go so that the whites, like the light parts pop more. And then the grays will even have more of a gradient. And every time I'd come back, he's like, just go even blacker, go dark, go dark. Um, and still to, for some reason that just like that, which was about like a pencil self portrait has like stuck with me. Like even my writing where I'm like, um, whenever I'm like, guess if I'm pushing something far enough or if something's, literally getting like too dark or heavy um this like advice comes back to me where like you need to like push things in this direction so that these other parts pop even more you need to go dark so like the happy moments like really hit you even harder um so for some reason this visual and this weird this advice that has nothing to do with writing or stories um like it's one of like the pieces of advice that keep coming back to me which is cool that's very cool cool and you know, on related to your career and your your creativity, you have to push yourself to the point where you feel like you're gonna, you know, you're uncomfortable for to be at that point where something exciting is gonna happen. Right. Yeah, and that's part of it too. Where like I was like holding back, and he was like, "You can't hold back. Like you need to like kind of push it as far as you can." Um, so. That was like a great learning moment, which I don't even, at the time, I don't even think I realized, but for some reason, all these years later, it's like stuck with me. Like, yeah. Make Aaron and Jace get it on in the woods. Right? <laughs> you gotta push it. Push the limits. And then have a bear kill him. Already <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> All right. What's your uh, dream car? If you win the lottery tonight, what, oh my what, gosh. what, I... what are you buying? Well, you live in Toronto. Do you even drive a car? <laughs> no, and you're also asking a gay man who knows nothing about cars. Um, I really like, I like maybe a, a Rolls Royce if it's a luxury car. Ah, cool. I'll be your driver. <laughs> Charles Xavier had a Rolls Royce, and God, man, God loves man kills. Yeah. Cool. And I, <laughs> as a kid, I was like, that's a cool car. So that's the only shave one. my head and roll around in that yeah <laughs> <laughs> alright that's all I got for lightning round cool man well we will uh, I guess let you off the hook there get you out of here back to real life again we appreciate it uh, tell people where to find you online yeah it's just my name at Tate Rumble across like uh, Twitter, Instagram um I think that's mostly just what I use. Um, yeah. yeah you're blessed did. with you a great name. For... On my books. 
Yeah, oh, thank you're, 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 I was like you're blessed with a great name for social media. You know, you, you're, yeah, you don't have no one, to put a, a hey, thirty-one at the end of your name. No, there are multiple Tate Rumbles, which doesn't Liar. make sense to me. <laughs> I, I have no. There's one girl who kept messaging me on Snapchat, being like, "Give me your Snapchat." Oh, now you know my Snapchat. I don't even know if that's my Snapchat. But anyways, <laughs> she's like, "Give me your username because my name's Tate Rumble." I'm like, "What? How are you real?" Um, so there are multiple tape rumbles out there, which is oh. very weird. <laughs> Doppelgangers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So go, uh, find Tate on whatever social media you use. Check out all of the books we just spoke at length about and the ones that we didn't. But, uh, again, thanks so much. Thank you everyone for listening. That was tape rumble. This was bat force radio. We will see you next time.